Hi, this is Jason at BWC. Welcome to this podcast of our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale as he shares with the group. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Second Peter, the first chapter. Last week we got through a whole two verses. <laughs> so, there's a lot of rich stuff in these um, Gospels that which indeed they are good news, and sometimes they're not great news. Sometimes when he talks about trying your faith, it's not always great news, but it's good news in the end. Now, last week we talked about knowing God. The knowledge of God is more than a, a recognition. You would be able to recognize President Obama if he walked in here because you've seen him on TV. You would be able to recognize him. In fact, if you're a respectful American citizen, you would stand up in honor of him when he walks into the room. It doesn't matter if you agree with everything or not, you respect his position. So recognition doesn't necessarily mean awesome reverence and respect. Uh, recognition on a, on a much lighter level says, oh, I can pick you out of a crowd. There's no, nobody in here looks like Larry. You know, we could pick Larry out of a lineup if we had to, right? That's not what knowing God is about. Knowing God is an intimate thing. Knowing God is, is not just being able to recognize Him, be able to pick Him out of a lineup, so to speak, but knowing God is more important than anything in your life. There's nothing in your life that's more important than knowing God. And a lot of times when we're trying to learn to know God, when we're trying to delve into Him, noble things get on our way. Noble things. What are noble things? Family. Friends, hobbies, all those things are great. They're important. We have to take care of business. We've got to pay the bills. We've got to go to work. But a lot of times we allow those things to even get it, supersede knowing God. And that's when we get jacked up, guys, is when, when we let life rule the roost uh, and we live reactively. That's why we have three pastors' office and we counsel a lot. And many times it's because... Life is running them instead of them running their life. The more you know God, the more it changes you. So we're still kind of recapping here. I, I gave you all a challenge. I gave you a little homework last week. And, and I ask you, you get 1,440 minutes a day. I ask you to give God 10. And there was rules with this homework. For those of you who weren't here... Um, you had to spend 10 minutes in the quiet or maybe some very, very soft music. You had to get away from the kids and work and all your stresses. And you just had to be with Him. The rule was you weren't allowed to ask Him for anything. I posed the question last week. If, if you didn't believe God could do one more thing for you, if you didn't think He could hook you up and help you out anymore, would it change your prayer life? I want you to think about the percentage of your prayer time and what it consists of. For most of us, it's God give me this, God hook me up with this, God do this, God do this, God do this, change that person, change that person, help me here. And if we take away all of our petitions, what we got left? Oh, by the way, I love you. I love you, God, on the way out, you know. You can't get to know God by asking for stuff. How would you like it if the only time your kids spoke to you is when they wanted something? Everybody's ever had teenagers know what I'm talking about. Doesn't it just straight trip you out when they come and just want to hang out with you with no alternative motives? 
if Cody comes in the room like what? Everybody else is busy, you know, because you know, I'm kind of at the bottom of the food chain for a 19-year-old boy to hang out with me, you know. Uh, but if the only time your kids came to you is when they holding out their hand, gimme, 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 you don't get warm fuzzies about your children. You're just like, get out of here, punk, you know. Just come on, man. You're bleeding me dry. I'm tired of you. So when you spend time with God, just be with Him. Just... Uh, recognize Him and stand in awe of Him. Just be quiet. It's really sort of a meditation where you just say, God, I'm just going to be with You. I want to experience Your presence. You see, God is a spirit and those who worship Him have to worship Him in spirit. You're never going to hug God like you hug a person. You're never going to know Him. As smart as you are, the greatest theologians can't intellectualize God. You're never going to hug God and you're never going to figure Him out in your mind. The only way you can know God is in your spirit. And spirit to spirit, that's what worship is. When you say, God, you are awesome. God, I love you. And and I had one person out of this group text me. says, it, it, sometimes I get distracted easily. Is it okay if I just say his name over and over? I said, man, that's cool. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Did you all take me up on the challenge last week? Did anybody actually do it? You gave it a shot. You gave it a shot. You may not get an A, but you gave it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> Two? You did it twice. You did it twice. 20 minutes for right. No. Okay. 10 minutes. It's, it's a lot. The thing that will trip you out is you say, okay, here I am. Oh, man, i got a lot of stuff to ask for, but i got to shut up right now. Isn't that, isn't that how it is? It's like, man, you need to fix this, you need to fix this. And when you can't, it feels like your hands are tied. Well, welcome to a relationship. we got to get to know God. Okay, so that's the end of the recap. Now, we're going to Second Peter chapter 1. And... Uh, the Bible's cool, it's alive. I know it's got a lot of these and thous. If you ain't down with that, get a cool scripture that says that there's so many versions out there that you can read them like newspapers nowadays. So if if you ain't into old English, you ain't got no excuses no more. There's a lot of cool versions out there and translations and transliterations of the Bible. Second Peter chapter one. Now last week we uh We talked about that your visions can only be built on your level of knowledge. It can only be built on your level of knowledge. Um, We talked about marinating. We talked about pickling, actually. We talked about how I could have a cucumber in this hand and a pickle in this hand. They taste totally different. The difference is that cucumber is set for a certain amount of time in those juices and it and it actually changes the texture, the taste, and the smell of that cucumber. That's what happens when you just sit in the presence of God. Now I'm not we're not talking about some new agey woo-woo weirdo thing. We're talking about be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know. Get to know me. So the word knowledge is key through these Bible verses here. Have you ever tried to get to know someone and it just doesn't click. You ever you ever had somebody say, "Hey, you ought to hang out with this person. I think he's pretty cool." And you get to know him, and he's just a dork, and it's just like this ain't cool. You know, he's cool, 
no harm, no foul, but we ain't going to be hanging. You ever met somebody like that? Yeah, I have. And it's like, I could tell right now that you're just, we, we ain't going to gel, dude. I don't, I don't know what's up, you know, more power to you, but it's not going to click. And the reason for that is there's different personalities and different goals and different experiences. You'll never have that with God. You'll never hang out with God and say, you know what, this, this catch is too different. You, you'll never have that. Because He's our all in all. He's everything that you could ask, want, or dream of. So you're never going to have that problem of not clicking with God. If you look back over your life, I want you to think about the times in your life that you felt the closest to God. The times in your life when no preacher had to tell you to pray. Go back to those times, those seasons in your life when you felt close to God. You don't, you can't always put your, your nails on it. You can't always describe it, but you just felt this closeness. You felt this, this oneness with God and, and, and you felt Him everywhere that you walked. If you look back over those times in your life, you're going to find some curious things. You're going to find that you feel the closest to God when you spend the most time with God. Here's the bad news. Most of us only hang out with God when we're jacked up. When we're falling and we're on the edge of the cliff and oh, the only thing we know to do is pray. Here's the cool thing about the compassion of God is He meets you where you are. As jacked up and as even though you want to use Him and abuse Him and use God, I just got to help you. You got to help me get through this thing. He still comes to your defense. He still comes to your aid because He's a loving God, full of compassion, full of mercy. Jesus demonstrated that while He was here. Why is it that we're only close to Him at our highest need? The reason is because we're deceived to think that we can manage this life and we only go to Him to the things that we cannot manage. It's one of the biggest deceptions that your mind, the enemy, your mindset, whatever you want to call it, the biggest deception that you'll ever find is pray when you need to. That's why the church in, in America is so weak. You go there and they try to make you feel good. They, they have a good band. They make you clap good. And they got good performers, good singers, good motivational speakers. And they leave and they're jacked up as much as they were when they came. The American church has turned into making you feel good about yourself. It's, it's turned into all kinds of things. And you only call upon God when you're sideways. You will never know God that way. The times that you've been closest to God is more than likely... Unless you were at a retreat or a conference and you set, you set some time aside and said, man, I'm just going to get with God. Most of the rest of the seasons in your life is when you are in the greatest need. I wrote a chapter in one of my books called The Greater the Need, the Closer the Walk. The greater the need, the closer the walk. When mama's in the hospital and she's only got three weeks to live, all of a sudden we're real spiritual people. But when all... The groceries are full, the gas tank's full, all the bills are paid, and we got a few hundred dollars in the cookie jar. We don't need God. We don't need God. You see, God is this assistant. God is this Santa Claus that we call upon. And, and we hate to say that. This sounds so irreverent, but that's the reality of most Christians. We only go to God when we really need Him. And that's why not too many people really know God. 
And when you are jacked up, you want somebody that really knows God to pray for you. You don't want somebody as jacked up as you. Because that's just two jacked up people. You know, and, and God will meet you where you are. God will meet you where you are. But man, when you're in trouble, you want somebody that knows some stuff. If you've got, if you've got a physical problem, you, you don't go down to see the old witch doctor. You go to the, to the hospital. You say, hey, I, I need some help. Because you know more about this stuff than I do. And that's how we are when we have spiritual problems. You want somebody, and you're to be those people. You're not, you're not called to be a casual Christian. There's no such thing as a casual Christian. No such thing. That's the problem I have with seeker-friendly churches. Oh, let's, let's get them in and out, 28-minute sermon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make them uncomfortable, because they might change if we make them uncomfortable. Don't challenge them now. Hey, they may not come back and give their money. No, if you're in this house, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be stretched. If I have anything to do with it, I know Pastor's heart. I'm I'm one of his greatest students. Uh, He's going to stretch you. He's going to he's going to press you. And that's what the the fight of faith is all about. It's not about making you feel good. It's about stretching your faith. Man, I'm so off grid here. Where am I at? Let me warn you about something in worship time. How many of you, when you get alone with God, and it's a real revelation to some people that you can hang out with God besides in this building. It's just a building. God don't live in here anymore than He does down at the grocery store. Now, we've set it aside for God, yada, yada. That's cool. But He don't live in buildings made of bricks and stones. He lives in the hearts of His people. So where you are, there He is. Psalmist David says, where can I go from the presence of God? If I go up on the mountain, you're there. Down the valley, you're there. If I could fly like an eagle, man, you're there, God. You can't hide from the Spirit of God. He's an omnipresent God. So, how many of you listen to music when you're trying to get alone with God? You have some kind of music going. Let me give you a warning about it. And I love music. I'm a musician. I have been since I was nine. I've played guitar and sang and played some other instruments. Let me give you a little warning about worship. We all have our favorite music that we like to listen to and it helps get us to a place. And that's a cool thing. That's what's, what, that's what's so cool about music is it, it takes you to a place. If I were to play a song from your senior prom, boom, it would take you right back, right? If I would play a real old song, you might think about your mom and dad used to play those records. Something about music that transports you is awesome. I believe music is 100% from God. And music is, is a great vehicle. And uh, I, I want you to be careful about your music. I, in fact, this next week, if you're interested in doing this challenge again... And all Christians should make this a lifestyle, not an experiment. Be with God every day, just a thought. Separates you from sinners. Separates you from people going to hell. Separates you from atheists. Hey, spend time with this guy you say you serve. Just a thought. If you're going to do that, I'm going to challenge you this next week when you spend time with God. This is going to be tough. To reduce the amount of music you listen to. Or even cut it out. And the reason I say that is I want you to realize how much emphasis we put on the music. And I see this in the younger generation. Here's the ideal 
worship thing for the young generation. I want a concert atmosphere. I want it to be dark in the house. I want some spots on the stage. I want a dude in front of a microphone stand with a guitar. And I want to be able to hear the whole Coliseum singing. And now that's what worship is. Anything less than that is not worship. So if Grandpa tries to get up and sing, that ain't worship, dude. You don't know what worship is. And we allow our music to become a sacred cow. Now, now I'm not saying it's not an immaculate tool. There's times I use it. And God has challenged me, be careful that that doesn't become a crutch because there's going to be times when I don't have access to my favorite MP3. There's going to be times when I'm jacked up in the Walmart parking lot and, and I, I got old school 15-year-old truck with a cassette. You know what I mean? I don't have no great worship music on cassette. So, But if you can't get the presence of God without your favorite music, you're going to be in trouble sometimes. Now it's cool to use it. But just be careful that it that the carrier doesn't become more important than where your your destination. You see what I'm saying? There's time like if you want me to get a whole pro- God put in this singer, put in that singer. Well, the destination is not the singer. The destination is get into the presence of God, where you can begin to marinate and take on the the elements of God. Okay, back to the Bible. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We begin with this little envelope here that says knowing Him. And when we go inside of knowing Him, we found that inside of the knowledge, or to rephrase knowing God, we find grace and we find peace. Right? Remember this from last week? Now, the only way that you can truly understand grace and peace is to know God. It's inside knowing God is when you begin to experience these things. Grace and peace. And this is what we talked about last week. It's kind of where we left off, I believe. But there's more. There's more stuff inside knowing Him. We didn't get to that last week. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians. Keep your finger there. Go over to 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and go down to verse 8. Now, it's cool because when we begin to know God and in the knowledge of God, we find grace and peace. But 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You see how many times he uses the word all? Now, i got to admit, when I was doing some word searches this week, that verse popped up. I thought, that's cool. I'm going to plug it in. I want to make sure that we keep that verse in context, though. That verse is talking to givers. And I'll let you read the verses previous and the verses after. So this verse, this promise, is talking to people that give. But, He can give you everything that you need. Do you see that? Now let's go back to Second Peter and verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What's the next few words? 
through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. So, that tells me there's something else that can be found in knowing Him. The Bible in verse 3 right there says, Through the knowledge of Him, I can find all things that pertain to life and all things that pertain to godliness. By the way, the word all there means every single thing. All, inclusive. All means all. You know, a lot of times we get hung up on a lot of Greek and a lot of times it has a lot of uh, additional meanings. But the word all there means all. Every. Inclusive. So he's telling us that in knowing Him, not only can we have grace and peace, but we can have all things that apply to life and all things that apply to godliness. Man, that's a trip. That sounds like too good to be true to me. But it's found there again through the knowledge. I've got so much up here. Now here's the problem, guys. Some of us see life and godliness as two different compartments in our life. Okay, I got my life. What's your life? My life is I'm married, I got a kid, I got a house payment, and I got a job. That's my life. And then there's this other little section. That's the godly part of things. And by the way, I, I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. So I have a godly section of my life, and then I have my life. Do you remember we talked about everything in life has a place? Well, God should be in all places. The Bible says don't give place to the devil. But don't be compartmentalizing God and saying that you're a disciple. Sorry, a little tough love there. If God is a little compartment in your life, if He's in a shoebox in the back of your closet of your heart, that's how much power you're going to walk in. That's how much knowledge, how much peace, how much grace you're going to walk into. If God to you is a Sunday morning from 10.30 to 12, feeling that makes you feel good about yourself, it scrubs your conscience, you walk out saying, dude, I went to church today, look at me shine. That means that you have a life and you have a little piece that you call godliness. These two things can't be separated if you're sold out to Jesus. So if you want all things to your life and all things that pertain to godliness, you're going to have to begin to realize that your life is lived unto God. Let me read verse 3 to you from, from the Message Bible. Can I do that? Everything that goes into life of pleasing God has miraculously been given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, the best invitation ever received. If you want to know some stuff in your life, if you're full of questions, let me tell you something, because I've done it. Quit looking for answers. Quit looking for the whys and the hows and the how longs and how long's this season going to be. And we start searching and searching and searching. Oh God, oh God, tell me why did this happen? Why is this happening? Why isn't this stopped? And we spend so much of our energy just searching, looking for answers. And how many of you have really found out anything? Very little of it comes back clear. Take that energy and start putting it towards knowing God. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you begin to know God, all that other crap is trivial. 
The stuff that keeps you up at night, the stuff that keeps you freaking out, the stuff that makes you bite your husband's head off, the stuff that makes you want to throw the kids through the window, all that stuff that gets you straight jacked up, it pales in comparison when you hang out with God. Look at what we stress over. We're the child of God that said, let there be light, and there was light. And we're freaked out about this little minute thing that when, when we're all dead and gone and hanging out in heaven, that little thing ain't going to matter anything. But it keeps me from sleeping. And then there's this one little thing, this person, this co-worker, oh man. And I know, I've had some of those, so I'm not making it light of it, but, but it freaks us out right now. But when you hang out with the Creator of the universe... All that stuff just melts away. Have you ever been in the presence of God? Now, when I say being in the presence of God, some of you may not realize what I'm talking about. But the presence of God is a, is a place where your spirit hooks up with the Spirit of God. There's an alignment that happens, in, and you feel a wholeness and a peace. Sometimes we get real churchy. And we, we, we think everybody should know our church in Christianese, right? But there's a place where you feel whole. We feel accepted. You feel loved. That's the Spirit of God. That place where you're sometimes moved to tears because you just feel this compassion and this love and you feel His arms wrap around you. If you've ever experienced that, that's the Spirit and the presence of God. Have you ever been stressed while He's holding you? Have you ever amped up your worry when you're lost in His presence? And I'm talking about a lot more than just a feeling. We're not talking about being weird and stupid. But when you're in the presence of God, when you begin to feel Him and His power and His strength, all your cares begin to melt away. And those things that are giants in your, in your vision right now, they're totally insignificant and they just melt when you stand in the presence of God. That's why you got to spend time with Him every day, guys. It's not just to have a gushy feeling. It's not like being in love in seventh grade. We're talking about God, okay? <laughs> Verse 4, let's read on. By which, having been given us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these... You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Boy, that sounds like a preacher talking. Let's break it down. Um, What it's saying is that there are promises in this Bible that are a gateway. There's promises that God has given to His people. And if, if you really begin to walk in those promises, you can actually take on a divine nature. Now, I don't know a whole lot of people that are there. Uh, There's days when I'm really cool, I'm feeling really spiritual, and there's days when I feel like I can knock somebody's head off. There's days when I feel really spiritual, and days I don't. There's days I feel sanctified and together, and God bless you, brother. And there's other days when, whatever, dude, I'm not feeling spiritual today. But there is a divine nature that's attainable. It's attainable if you begin to accept and walk through His promises in this Word. There's a problem with these promises, though. American church, are you ready? 
There's a problem with a lot of the promises of God is a lot of them are conditional. He doesn't just mail out a bunch of great promises. Most of the promises in this Word are, if you do this, you're going to see this. If you plant these seeds, you're going to have this harvest. If you do this, you'll, you'll, you'll receive this. A lot of the promises in the Word of God are conditional, but they're the gateway that we can take on a divine nature. What's a divine nature? It means your natural disposition. Your go-to thought right now, if somebody cuts you off, you have a go-to thought. And I know because I, I have fought road rage a lot of my adult life. And I have some go-to thoughts and some go-to thoughts and, and sometimes they turn into words and that's not always good when somebody cuts me off because all of a sudden I'm not Pastor Pat, I'm just Pat, recovering problem guy. You, know? <laughs> uh, you have a go-to nature. You have a disposition. Some of you are meek and mild. Some of you are hotheads. Some of you would get in fights if somebody provokes you. Some of you are peacekeepers. Everybody's different. You have a disposition about you. The Bible says that if you walk in His promises, that you can take on a divine nature. Now that's a trip to me. That's a goal for me. That's where I'm trying to get to. That's a place that I'm trying to get to. That I can react like Jesus would. That I could act like Jesus does. And it also says that I can escape corruption. You know what corruption is? Corruption means death from the inside. You ever watch uh, like CNN and, and you'll hear about corruption with, with a, a voted person, with a person of power, and you'll, they'll find corruption in their office. That means there's, there's death from the inside, and it leaked, and it's corrupt. If, if you have corruption in your body, it's, it's from the inside out. If you take some horrible disease, it starts from a, from a cellular start and ultimately it affects the entire body. That's what corruption does in you. And that's what the old man, the carnal nature, the unsaved you. This is the problem, guys. When we get saved, God saves our spirit. He doesn't do anything for our mind or our bodies. That's where we have to come in and say, God, renew my mind. God. That's why if you come up and get saved and you're an alcoholic, you're going to go back to your chair, an alcoholic. Yeah, your spirit's changed, but now you've got some work to do because your body has its own voice, right? If you, if you come up and get saved and you are full of four-letter words, when you get back to your church, back to your church seat, you still have four-letter words. That, that's when discipline kicks in. There's part of this growing stuff that's on us. And, and that part kind of stinks because... If we don't kill the old man, the old ways, the old mindset, every day, guess who's going to run the show? The old you. And then it talks about that in this world uh, through lust. Now, the word lust there just means longings. You see, it's these longings that keep us messed up. It's these longings... I want something so bad that I can't see the blessings I've got now. I don't know what you're fixated on. Maybe you're praying and believing for a better home. Maybe you're praying and believing for a better marriage. Maybe you're praying and believing for healing. And until you get what you're praying for, until I see the results, 
It's not cool. Until, until I see what it is, because I have this longing. And not, not, not all longings are bad, but the word lust here of the world, there's longings on the inside of you that aren't godly. That means there's still work to do. There's still some dissecting thing to do. Remember back in biology when you had to dissect a frog and pull stuff out? That's what has to happen to a Christian. There's st- Look, if you're born and your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to heaven, but there's still work to be done. There's this whole conduct thing that God doesn't let us off the hook of. These longings, all I know is what I want. I want this. I'm not going to stop until I get it. I'm praying, I'm believing, I'm praying, I'm believing. In the meantime, everything around me can go to pot, but I know what I want. That's a lust. That's a lust saying, I want this new house so bad, I hate the house I live in now. I want this new car so bad that this 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 car that I drive, I, I'm not thankful for it, I don't care about it. I want some more money so bad that the money I do have, it doesn't amount to anything. All I know is what I want. Maybe that's just me. But God's challenging us saying, don't let the lust of the world, don't let it into your life. Paul knows all about this. Flip over to Romans chapter 7. It's one of my favorite chapters in a weird kind of a way. <laughs> Romans chapter 7. Go to verse 22. Romans chapter 7. Go to verse 22. Now I have a New Kings James. That's what I've been reading out of here. And we're going to read a few verses. You ready to read? For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That's cool. That's most of us, right? But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm just glad that Paul didn't stop right there. I thank God through Jesus our Lord. So then, with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore, keep reading because there there really doesn't need to be a break right there. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That part is not in every manuscript, by the way. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's the deal, guys. How many of you have made up your mind about something and then you failed miserably at it? Okay, let's lighten this up. How many of you all been on a diet? And you say, you know what, baby, from now on, I'll just tell us, you know what, we've been watching Biggest Loser, <laughs> you know, whatever. 
And you know what? We got all kinds of junk up in the snack cabinet, man, because I'm a little Debbie fan. And, and when when they build my house in heaven, it's gonna be there's gonna be a bakery inside. You know, uh, I think that's just awesome. That's my deal. She's a salt chick, and I'm a I'm a sugar guy. Okay, so between us, we got some stuff in the cabinet, and 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 we're both members at gyms. She does Zumba, and I lift, and I work out, and I bike. I, yeah, yeah. I think, man, how good would I look if I didn't eat like I eat? Because I do some stuff. Just doesn't always show. Yes, underneath all this stuff, there's some strength, I think. But a lot of us set our minds on something, and then we fail miserably at it. This is what Paul's saying. Look, man, with my mind, I'm serving God, but there's some war going on on the inside of me. And what happens is, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm going to walk right and spit right. I'm going to do it, man. God, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to make better decisions. But then we get jacked up again, and you're like, man, look at what I did. Look at this mess. I said I wasn't going to go into that ditch again. I I told myself I wasn't going to do that again. And there's a war that rages. Your heart's right, but your body, your flesh is what the Bible calls it. Your carnality still has an appetite. There's two voices on the inside of you. One says, God, I love you with my whole heart, but I find myself doing stupid all the time. To the point that Paul says, oh, wretched man, what a jacked up person I am. My biggest frustration, the first 10, 15 years of my Christian walk when I really got serious with God, was like, God, my heart's right, but I keep being stupid. I keep ending up where I say I'm not going, I keep doing the stuff I gave up, I picked back up. The stuff that that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And Paul goes on, it's a really cool chapter, read both 7 and 8 and and 9 in its full so he knows. And by the way, this is a dude that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He feels you. But what he's explaining is that that's your old nature fighting your new nature. The Bible says that when you're born again, all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Man, I wish that was referring to every single thing in my life. I wish that when I got saved, I never wanted to say another bad word. I wish that when I got saved, I never wanted to have road rage. I wish that when I got saved... But all that stuff, it still takes a while. It's tough to crucify that flesh, that old desire, that old mindset. And and you might put together a few good days, and then that old thinking comes back and says, Yeah, remember, you still have a temper. Remember, you still have insecurity. What did she mean by that? They just rejected you. And all that old stuff comes flooding in. That's the fight of faith, guys. It's not that we're out casting out demons and breaking free haunted houses. The fight of faith, I believe, is in Pat Dale. It's in you. The person that walks between your elbows, that's your fight of faith. Yes, go lead as many people to Christ as you can. Encourage. Be a great Christian. Be a great brother or sister. Do all that cool stuff. But listen, it starts with me. I ain't going to help nobody if I'm jacked up. And if I don't get my time with God, the more I know God, the less I want to do my old ways. Have you noticed that? Something about the power and the presence of God melts those old desires. And that's why I said, look back over a time of your life when you were the closest with God, and I'll guarantee you it's the time you spent the most time with Him. 
And yet, we choose not to spend time with Him. We're all guilty. We don't have enough time. But the average American watches four to six hours a day of TV. What do you mean you don't have time? I've used the excuse, I've got this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and do this, especially when the boys were little, man. I, mean, it's, I know it's a nightmare. But I don't miss my episode of this. I don't miss a Colts game. I don't miss a Reds game. I, don't, I, don't, I have my priorities. So quit copping out and start hanging out with God. There's going to be... If you do everything you want to do, you're going to live a life that's messed up because your want-tos aren't always pure. And there's times you need to recognize and say, you know what, I feel like going off on that dude. Right now I have every reason and nobody would blame me. Everybody would love me to make that person cry. I've, I've thought up things I could say. Man, if I said that, I'd really rip him, man. I can make a grown man cry. And start think contemplating, oh man, give me a window, dude, because I'm going to lay into you. At that point, you've got to say, wait, 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 wait. That's the old you. That's not the new you. That's not what God called you to be. God called you to be a separate people. Different. Peculiar, yeah. Strange, because you're not freaking out when you should be. So, I hate to say this, but just because you make up your mind doesn't mean you're going to change your life. A made-up mind, if I had a made-up mind, I would have 0% body fat right now. If I had a made-up mind, man, I would be shredded underneath this shirt. But I don't. I've made up my mind a thousand times I was going to eat better. I've made up my mind a thousand times that I wasn't going to go back to that besetting sin or that weakness in my life. But you know what? Sometimes I find myself there. The, the, the thing about a lot of Christians is a lot of our sins aren't outward, so you don't know. We're not stealing. We ain't hurting nobody. Man, you don't want to get into this brain because that's jacked up. And, and everybody thinks you got it all together, but the Bible says, this is scary, the Bible says God knows your thoughts. Those things you don't carry out, but you would love to. That's where a lot of Christians' weaknesses are, is right here. Oh, I'm glad you don't carry them out. That would be a mess. But, nonetheless, you're still messed up. And we've got to have them renewed. And every day, man, every day, it's not a decision you make at an altar or kneeling somewhere. Every day you say, God, I'm going to serve you full out. And when the old me comes up, I've got to tell it, no. You're not a victim. If you think you're a victim, if you feel sorry for yourself, you have no power. You've given it away to that which you fall to. I was speaking with someone today that this individual that they, that they were talking about loves the blame game and we've, we've done lessons on the blame game. If you're always looking for someone to blame, you'll never get better. Because... We were talking, what if that person did say, you know what, it's my fault that you feel that way. What then? You're going to have to blame something else, ain't you? If you allow feelings and other people to control how you feel inside, you have no power. This is the sad part. 
the creator of the universe lives on the inside of you. And he's got, to let, he's got to watch all that junk go right by his spirit. Oh, God. How many times have you blown it? Do you realize that with your body, with your mouth, with your thoughts, whatever you are sinning with, that you thought nobody knew about, the Holy Spirit was right there with you? That would jack you up. That movie screen that goes on in your head... Jesus is watching it with you. God help us. The thing that you would want to do if you had the chance, God sees it. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you've accepted Jesus, there's only one way to get rid of Him, and that's to say, I don't want you. Because He hangs when you like Him, when you don't like Him, He won't give up on you. He keeps, he keeps pulling you and saying, Come on, man. Come on, man. Get right. Get right. Get right. That's why you can't enjoy your sin. Because His Holy Spirit on the inside of you says, Look, this ain't right, dude. This ain't right. And you know it. And you can't enjoy your sin. So why do we keep entertaining it? I don't know. Because that old nature keeps rising up. Wow. Let me make it perfectly clear. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Are we clear on that? His mercies are new every day. His mercies endure forever. When they pulled His beard and they spit in His face and they drove nails in Him, what was His reply? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the God that we're afraid to get to know. He's so full of compassion and love. He died for you. And we reserve Him to a little compartment in our life called godliness that we break out on Sundays and super spiritual ones on Wednesdays maybe. You might even pull Him out on an occasional TBN hour. But for the most part, we keep God in this little place where He needs to be. And we pull Him out for parades. Say, look at me. God ain't having it. There's nothing you can do. But, if we go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, where we started. Man, time is flying. I'm sorry, guys. So, here's the deal. Salvation sets your eternity. When you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I repent of every sin. I'm going to turn from them. I want you to wash them. The Bible says that though your sins were as scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. He'll never bring them to your account again. You set your eternity. But here's the thing. This is the clincher. This is where I have to talk to the body of Christ. This is where I have to talk to me. Your conduct produces your life on earth. Your salvation sets your eternity, but your conduct sets your time on earth. Uh, Verse 5. But also for this very reason, give all diligence. Add to your faith. Now I've got to say, I've never noticed that phrase. Add to your faith. Never noticed it. I've been around this thing for a long time. Let's just pause there for a moment. What are uh, some of you cooks? What are some of your favorite additives? What are some of your favorite spices? Yeah, my wife puts garlic salt 
in everything she cooks. And I love it. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I love it. When, I, when you walk in my house, open the door, you got garlic smell. And I'm like, somebody's cooking. I'm loving it. Uh, bacon. Bacon. Bacon makes everything better, man. I, I feel you on that. Um, I call it woozy. It's actually Worcestershire sauce, dude. I put that on everything because that gives everything a kick. I was raised on down-home food, and, and mom, man, she could throw down old Tennessee cook, man. But everything tasted like, you know, butter. So I'd douse everything to give it a kick with some woozy, man. I love lemon pepper. Um, I, and, dude, don't give me anything without some ketchup. I mean, ketchup makes everything good. You, you ever seen people eat um, meatloaf without ketchup? Them some weird people right there. I want it swimming in ketchup. I don't know. I don't have a reserve palate. I don't claim to. I just love ketchup on everything. So there are additives that we that we use every day. Um, this is cool because we can add to our faith. That means, hey, there's something else you can do. Your faith is cool. Your faith's going to save you. Your faith's going to make you born again. Your faith's got you set. You got an address in heaven because of your faith. But now let's add to it. I don't think we're going to get into much of this. My God, it's already 3 2. Maybe I ought to wind it down right here. But this is a part where I want to start talking about faith additives. Faith additives. You think, all I need is faith. Well, the Bible here says there's some stuff you can put with your faith. And when we get through these things, you're going to see that it's going to make a big difference. You could have the, the greatest. Whatever your favorite dish is, but if you put some of your personal favorite additives on it, it just gives it that little extra polish, man. And if you finish it off with a piece of chocolate cake and ice cream, I mean that's just that's really that just that just seals the deal right there. So as precious as your faith is, the Bible says there's things you can add to it. It's gonna make your life sweeter. It's not gonna change your eternity. Because the Bible says it's not by works lest any man should boast. You're saved by grace through faith. But there are works that make a difference on this planet. There are works that you do that make a difference in your life and everybody that watches your life. You see, if, if we just use Jesus as a Savior and you, and you try to live like hell here on earth and get by with everything and ride, ride the word grace all the way to heaven, when you could have made an impact in this world, those people that are watching you at the break room, they're noticing you. I've heard some good reports out of this group of some of y'all's co-workers saying, man, something's different about that chick. Something's different about that guy. I've heard them. Man, something different. Some of y'all, since you began to take Jesus serious, have people coming to you and asking you for advice. You know what you're doing? You're adding to your faith. And I think we're going to get into that maybe next week. Thank you for joining us. For this Wednesday evening podcast from Bethesda Worship Center, you can find more out about us at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com and by liking us on Facebook.